Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Move, a podcast which is hosted by me, Jamie Lang, and my business partner, Ed Williams. Now, in 2012, Ed and I founded our confectionery business, Candy Kittens, a business which I'd actually dreamed of having ever since I was six years old. And honestly, we wouldn't have achieved half of what we've been able to without all the amazing tips and advice we picked up along the way. Move stands for Motivation, Opportunity, Vision, Entrepreneurship. And each episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the stories of founders, innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs, and winners who show us all what's possible with hard work and focus. So whatever you're moving towards, we hope today's guests will open your eyes to what you can achieve. This is Move. Hey, Ed, a happy new year. Merry Christmas 2020. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Happy New man. Year. I'm, I'm pretty pumped, actually. I've got that whole thing where we've had a couple of weeks off over Christmas. Mm-hmm. You sit there and you think, what are we going to do this year? We're, we're, we're ready for it now. Okay, got... come and tell me, what, is your, what was your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to try and reply to every email. <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> what Simple. It is? You've got to start with simple goals that you're going to try and achieve. I like that. My one, uh, write more thank you letters. Nice, yeah. nice. And learn to drive. They're nice, actually, your thank you letters. They're yeah, I, nice sent, touch. I sent one to your, your parents. Yeah, 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 they liked that. Just to say, it was a sorry letter. I just said to <laughs> sorry for all the years I've given them pain. But super excited to be back with Series 2. Series 2, baby, and uh, what a way to kick things off. Why don't we kick it off? We've got an amazing, amazing guest today, and this guy you think is pretty similar to you. Uh, I think this guy, uh, I think him and I are exactly the same. Same birthday, uh, same life experience. <laughs> you were saying this as we came here this morning. I'm not too sure that I agree, but I'm sure Ben will have something to tell us about this himself. Very exciting. Ben Fogel on move today. I think Ben has achieved just the most insane amount of stuff. Oh we we had a real host of um, guests on move in the first series, but to kick off the second series today with somebody that has achieved things in so many different levels, business, but adventure, travel, charity, broadcasting. Ben is kind of, I think on his way, probably fair to say, a a bit of a national treasure now. Totally. And I think that's what's important about the podcast is, yes, we have founders on. Yes, we have sort of TV presenters, but we want people who have who have done things, what Ben has done, and come from... You know, the great thing about Ben is he never wanted to be defined as one individual thing. He wanted to go and do lots of stuff. He's climbed Everest. He's rode the Atlantic 3,000 miles. He's done the Marathon of the Saab, which is running, uh, I think it's 120 kilometers through the Sahara Desert. He's done the South... He's raced across the South Pole, getting frostbite and hypothermia. He, he, he mentions that he, um, he, in the South Pole, it was minus 50, minus 50 degrees. His iPod broke, so he couldn't listen to music. You can't talk to anyone because you've got headgear on, so you just had to think. That's all he had to do was think. Um, he swam the Alcatraz water, so he swam from Alcatraz to San Francisco. He's 
contracted a skin-eating disease. I mean, there are, it just, just goes on. He's written eight books, I think it is. The guy is a machine. Well, I think we should just crack on and talk to him. God, I just love this guy. Let's do it. Ben Fogel on Move. Normally, so I have interviewed loads of different people, right? And Ben, you've interviewed loads and been with loads of people. I've never sort of, when I've sort of researched someone and looked through someone's what they've done, I've never sort of sat back and gone, shit, I really haven't done anything in my life to even compare. What you've done, Ben, in your life is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and do you ever sometimes sit back and think, okay, this is, I've done quite a lot. Do you ever do that? Do you know, I... I hear people say that quite often, but I, I think maybe it's a symptom of of my lack of inner confidence in myself anyway, that I, I look at it and I think, yeah, but did I do them properly? Did, could I have done them better? Other people have done more than me. I think it's almost, I, I think it's been described sometimes as imposter syndrome, that totally. that some people suffer from something where they do, they'll never really feel like they have accomplished and achieved. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there's some things I've done that I'm really deeply proud of, but there are there are other things that I, I genuinely think maybe I just kind of I just winged it. Maybe I just blagged my way through that and and got to that point. But um, I've always lived by this adage to add life to your days, not days to your life. I, I want to fill every single moment, and maybe some of those things <laughs> that, that you've you've looked at have been about just embracing the moment and and seizing the opportunity as well because i think i think humans have this and not not everyone but a lot of us have have a almost a default to say no when something comes our way it's mm-hmm. like no cuz because what what if x or y happens whereas i've always tried to live my life by saying yes and then thinking about the repercussions afterwards sometimes it's bitten me on the bum but uh i i think we sometimes just need to have a, a positive yes mentality i think that's a really interesting place to start cuz i i'd imagine for most of our listeners that would tune in this morning and listen to us talking to you ben fogel the name is known people have kind of seen you on their tv screens at home their obvious reaction would be that you are a very confident outgoing person that can go and do all the things you've done. What is it you think that makes you not confident? Because I, I was listening to a couple of other podcasts that you've done and reading a few other things, and I've, I've, I've heard you say that before. What is it that makes you feel you're, you're not confident? So I think but I, I, I'm able to put on... It's not. I'm not faking this. It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not like I'm... It, it's a complete facade, but there's an armour that I do wear. Now, listen, I'm pretty chilled now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like bricking it <laughs> in the corner now. But I do have... I see other people, and everyone always seems to have achieved more. Everyone seems to have um, done better in life than me. And I think that's a symptom of my childhood. I, I, I just, I was, I, I, my early childhood was definitely marked by failure. I went to six different schools. And the reason I went to six different schools is because I could just never settle in. Um, I, I also, one of the schools that my parents ambitiously sent me to, and, and actually I think it was a great idea. They, they, they wanted me to be bilingual. So they sent me to the French Lycée in London. It's a hard school and you had to be, you, you were punished if you didn't speak French. And for me, 
the pressure of making myself you know, not speak English was so intense that I then left the school, but of course my English was behind. And I think it had a knock-on effect. And I, yeah. I really don't blame my parents for that at all. I think it was a, a beautiful decision to try and get me um, to be bilingual. But I do think it was the start of, of, of my failings because you add into that dyslexia, which I had, and it just meant that I was... I was terrible at school. I failed all my exams. And when when you're between kind of 8 and 13 and you're just constantly failing and everyone else around you doesn't seem to be failing, and this is the apparition, yeah. uh, they don't seem to be failing and they seem to be brilliant at sport and they seem to be um, better at everything. That, that, that's just my, my, my childhood memory is everyone being better. They were, they, they were better looking. They were better at sport. They were better at academics. And I think I've kind of dragged that with me for quite a lot of my life. And I think a lot of the things I've done have been trying to build up that confidence. And, but is it something that then pushes you on, gives you that sort of motivation to go and prove people wrong or, or, or to get that success? I don't think it's necessarily about proving people wrong, but it's about trying to prove to myself that I can achieve uh, in certain things, that I, I can do well in life just because I, I happen to have had those early failings, especially when it came to exams, that, that actually if you find something that you're good at, you, 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 can, um, you can prove to yourself and to other people that um, that anything's possible if you if you, if you put in that that dedicated focus and drive and determination. Do you know what's interesting about that is that a lot of people don't realise that a lot of the issues come from their inner child, and so your inner child is what you experience when you're growing up, right? So your your roots when you're born and you grow into a tree as you grow up, and that's totally right. And it's I mean what I it, it's it's because I, I I relate to a lot of things in that um in terms of <clears throat> excuse me in terms of failing at school at academics I was never good told I was bad all those different things um, and you talk about being a yes person and saying yes to these things and that's probably if I was to go deep into the sort of the psyche of it that's probably because you you say yes to these things because you constantly want to achieve because you didn't you felt like you never achieved before you constantly want to achieve in life and you'll never stop achieving because you feel like that's going to give you the validation right do you think that's probably the case so is this turning into a couch yes, session? This is not a therapy meeting. <laughs> I think um, I think you're probably right. I think I think that because of of that, just that slight cloud of doubt that that has always followed me, I um I always feel like I can do just a little bit better. And I'm not. It's not that I'm a perfectionist, and it's not that um that that I'm chasing something that I'm never going to find but I think it's it's just that I'm trying to push that little cloud of doubt that, that, that that's all it is I think it's really important to, to reiterate as well. I, I had a beautiful childhood. Mm. You know, my parents were amazing. I grew up in central London. Mum was a very famous actress. Dad, a very successful vet. We grew up above his veterinary clinic. It was idyllic, full of animals, random actors. Every Christmas would come to stay. It, it was really exciting, my childhood. Dad's Canadian. I spent lots of, lots of my summers out in Canada with his family. So on one hand, it was the most perfect childhood ever. But for me, it was the education side yeah. that, that, that was the failings. And I was, mum and dad worked super hard to send me to a private school. I was really lucky. And maybe part of the guilt is born through that, that, that I know how hard they worked. It, they, they didn't have oodles of money just to be able to, to, to send me off there. It was a conscious decision they made. And, and maybe there's a, a little element of guilt that I've had that I, I didn't, that, that I didn't translate that into, 
high academics and doing well at school and getting the good university degree. Now, as it happens, it didn't really matter because I I, I kind of came in the back door. I, I worked out how to succeed in life not going through the, the the scripted process of doing well in your GCSEs, doing well in your A-levels, getting to the good school, then getting to the good university, then getting the first class degree, then becoming a banker, then getting the uh, the, the big pay package. I, I, I didn't do that and, and it would never have suited me, but I always felt a slight guilt that maybe, it's not that that's what my parents hoped, they're, they're really proud of what I've done, but I, I didn't conform to society's expectations. Do you know, Ben, it's, uh, this, it's, it's very bizarre for me because, uh, firstly, you're born on 3rd November, so am I born on 3rd November. Um, and uh, exactly what you're saying is exactly the process that I went through. And so I just sort of push it on to me slightly in this thing. But what was so interesting is that it's that as well. I... I never wanted to conform to real life. I was I was privately privately educated as well. I didn't. I failed in my exams. I went to Leeds University, but got a second class. I got a two two in theatre performance, and I was always looking for that back seat, that back way into success. Um, and then also, uh, it's similar to you, but lots of you joined a reality show. You did Castaway in two thousand, and you're very you're very true to it. You say I didn't want to be defined as a reality star, and exact same as me. Nor did I. Um, and it's it's tricky because you don't. I, I find it hard in life when people are defined as anything, right? You you shouldn't be defined as anything. And how much of a struggle was that for you in terms of going on to reality show, doing that reality show, and then everyone saying, "Well, he's just a reality star," but then having to break that mold because you're one of the only people really to have broken that mold. How hard was it at the beginning? It was. I, I don't want to. It sounds like I'm playing my violin. I, no, you're not I, I, at all. I, I was so lucky, and and that show. It, it was twenty years ago. In fact, twenty years ago. Um, today, I, I was on that island in the Outer Hebrides, and also wasn't it for a year? Yeah, like, it's a year. The, 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 it's it, was, it was. So it intense. was debatably kind of the birth of popular reality shows. Mm. Re- reality shows have existed, you know, all the way back into the kind of sixties and seventies. Seven Up. There was a, a, a BBC show called Surviving the Iron Age, but Castaway was was the first kind of really big Saturday night what people often describe as water cooler TV. It's where people would chat about it the next day. But I suppose what you have to remember is that when I applied for it in 1999, it didn't really exist in that format, which means that none of us applied because we we saw fame and fortune. We we all applied because it sounded like an amazing adventure, a whole year living on a remote island cut off from the outside world. So we had no internet, no telephone, no social media, Social media didn't even exist back then. I mean, we but we hardly had email, and thirty six of us, including kids, you know, the youngest was two years old, were marooned for a whole year. And a lot of people forget that we filmed a lot of it ourselves. But that that was kind of a tipping point. That that changed my whole life. It gave me opportunity, but it was also the moment that I really I. I, I I became passionate about conservation, the environment, travel, adventure, um, interested in sustainability and community. And, and I think for me, community is, has become a really big, important factor in my life because I think society generally has, this community feel has broken down a little mm. bit. And as a father now, I'm trying to rebuild that with my own children. I'm away a huge amount, but when I'm back, I make sure we engage with our local community. Yeah, well, we're we're so we're so connected nowadays that we're actually disconnected, and and it's a it's a really weird sort of transitional period that we're going through where people actually 
are, you know, people don't communicate anymore and it's hard and actually we're meant to communicate. I saw a quote that he gave in a, an interview where he said, I think the reason why people want to become famous is they feel like they're part of a community. Mm-hmm. They feel like when you're known, you're then, well, you're known, you feel like you belong. Because people are, what happens in a community, which people, which drives a lot of people away from those small town places, is everyone knows what you're doing. Everyone knows your business. Everyone knows. Oh, I saw them in the pub the other day holding hands. Or, oh, yes, I, I saw that he's got a new car. Or, oh, smart new haircut. Everyone kind of talks about you. And, and in the same way, when you're famous, when you're in the public eye, it's the same thing. It's the gossip. It's the tittle-tattle. And, and, I, and I think as much as people don't necessarily like it when they live within that small community. And it, ha- it happened on Tarrantsay, the island I lived on. With just 36 people, you can imagine the gossip. But the gossip was more about who ate the extra egg <laughs> or um, who had failed to do the milking in the morning or who had failed to close a gate and the deer came in to eat the crops. But but going back to how, how that kind of program defined me, it, imagine going into a... a, a, a changing room in a in a in a shop to try on a new pair of jeans or to, a, a new sweater and you go in the door and then you come out a year later so you go in anonymously and you come out a year later and and everyone knows you it, it's so mind-bogglingly weird because this is a whole year and and you're behind that door for a whole year and you don't really know what's going on you hear little gossip you know the the a film crew comes on once a month and people are like oh yeah people are really liking watching you but you don't really know you you haven't really had an insight and then you you open that door and it's suddenly everyone knows who you are and it was about 6 months after starting that project that Big Brother began. And, and Big Brother, the very first series, was huge. It, 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 it really was a, a kind of monster. No one had seen anything like it. So people almost... It wasn't that they forgot about us, but but it changed the whole dynamic of our castaway experience. But what it did mean is that when I left that island, I, I kind of was catapulted into the kind of Heat generation. I don't, I don't know if Heat magazine even goes now, but yeah, Heat yeah. magazine, as as yeah, you yeah. guys will know, certainly back in the early noughties was the thing. It was yeah. the beginning of celebrity culture. And and I wrote it. You know, I took advantage of of becoming kind of one of those overnight Z-list celebrities. But but from the very beginning, I didn't want fame. I wanted success. That that, totally. that that was always the important thing for me. I wanted to be, I wanted to be known for things that that I I do, things that I was good at, things that I could be proud of. Not just because I happened to have been on the TV screen for a year. So it did. I, I've worked really hard in twenty over the last twenty years to be known for other things other than that reality show. The the, the interesting thing is on this the twentieth anniversary. I now get a bit disappointed when people yeah, forget. Yeah, talk about <laughs> it. No, no, but when people don't talk about it. Oh, really? No, there's a, there's a point, actually, where you think, actually, I was quite proud of being part of that. So it's now yeah. come almost full circle. Full circle on it. But so did, was that a conscious decision at the time to say, okay, well, I'm going to go and do this show, and perhaps the show will be a gateway to whatever came next? Or was it then the opportunity? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My, my parents couldn't understand why I would go and do a show like that. No one, uh, no yeah. one... No one really understood what the show was, and certainly no one, myself included, understood the possibilities. Yeah, I, I was the only person of those thirty-six that kind of that that embraced a life in broadcasting, but mainly because no one else wanted to. Every, everyone went there for for very simple. Everyone went there to learn how to milk cows and to grow crops and to have a, an amazing year away. There was no game there was, it wasn't a game show. There was no winner, there was no voting off. It was really just a life organic. Experience, it was I, suppose, I went there for the life experience and I was very lucky that opportunity came my way. But I think I think also Ben I think think with your personality from what I can grasp I think that you would have you would have known that something because you, you you were never going to pick the normal life. You were never going to do that. You were never going to go. Okay, this is my. If you if you look at some people do. Some people like uh, routine. Some people like the fact that they have the security. Some people like that life, and that's totally fair enough. And I, me and my brother is one of those people. But I think with you, you like the sense of. Um, Surprise and the sense of danger, almost the sense of what's going to happen next. You don't like the fact that you know where you're, where what's going to happen next. But with you, like with everyone else, you need to know your destination. Your destination was, I, I want to be successful. That's what I want to do. If you just go on a TV show or do whatever and just go, okay, I'm just going to do this, and you have no route where you're going to go, you kind of get lost. But I'm still fascinated to know that coming from someone who I, I, you you like community, you like to be around people, to sort of isolate yourself for a year on an on an island with 33 people that seems bonkers that seems crazy can you remember when you when you first went on it and went okay here we go what what, what happened on the first day did you just start going right we're going to build a hut i mean that is crazy to think that happened but do you know what i kind of i think this is the one thing that i'm quite good at in life and and if you look at everything i've done so the big projects mm. i've done since climbing Mount Everest, rowing across the atlantic yeah. if if you imagine imagine what it's like when you when, when you're in a rowing boat and you've got 3,000 miles of ocean ahead of you and you know you're going to be there for months and months. That first minute, it it, it takes forever. And then you yeah. start thinking, how am I going to get through this? Well, the same goes for that first day on the island. Okay, this is the first hour of 365 days. In fact, it was more than that. It was about a month over. So it, it, it was probably closer to 400 days. I've got 400 days ahead of me. It's raining, I'm wet, I'm I'm homesick, I, I don't really know anyone. Uh, how am I going to get through this? Well, it's all about taking things in really small chunks. And, and that's what I've done with all of my life. I break it up into really small, manageable pieces. And I think th- this is the advice I always give to people when, when I kind of share my own story is that when you look at the big picture, it can be really scary. When, when you look at, at, at the magnitude of something, whether it's a business that you're starting up, oh my gosh, look at all this money that I'm, I've got to invest into this, whether it's a new relationship, <clears throat> whether it's changing where you live, whether it's changing career, it's really scary. And, I, and I'm the first one to admit that. But 
if you break it up into the now and you don't just focus on on that target and you and you're quite right by the way i i have set myself goals and i and i and i try to to meet those targets now but if you if you take it in those little chunks it's actually amazing what you can achieve do you know that is the mentality that you you know if if you sas selection right what they do in sax sas selection is when they go through the hell week or hell two weeks what is where they're deprived of sleep and all these different things and they're put in stress positions you have to take it minute by minute if you don't if you look at the outcome of what's going to happen it's impossible to do it amazing story of if you ever watched touching the void mm. uh, which amazing documentary to there's, there's a great theater production actually it's yeah. in the theater right now the theater, I, right? I went last week it's it's really good if, if anyone wants a great show to go and watch it's it's in the theater um just near covent garden it's really I, good I, I got it, but it's amazing and it's uh, the documentaries of two guys who climb k2 one of the hardest faces of the mountain uh get hit by a storm one of their friends they attach themselves at night to each other one of their friends in the middle of the night falls off into a ravine he's attached to him the guy who's on it's sort of safe land and he has to make decision to cut the rope to let his friend fall or try and pull him back up and he decides to cut the rope because he's being dragged off and the story is in the eyes of the person who fell and he fell he broke his speed all these everything frostbite everything and he dragged himself back to safety and he said that he had to do it minute by minute if I get to that rock there if I do that if I get there but that mental strength is is fascinating and I think with you Ben the biggest the biggest inspiring thing about you is your mental state that you have it is unbelievable. You know, you spoke of rowing 3,000 uh, miles across the Atlantic with James Cracknell. Um, you said that's one of the hardest things you've had to do. And I actually spoke to James Cracknell as well. And he said he didn't even really go into it. He said, it's hard. Why is doing something like that so hard? It's the monotony. Really? It's, it's, it, it's the monotony. It's the boredom. It's the... It, it's the the loud voice in your head. We all have that voice in our head. You, you know, I, I defy anyone to say they don't have someone either egging you on or warning you. You know, it's it's, it's the, the the devil or, um, or or almost the shepherd. And for me, I've I've always had this loud voice, you know, telling me when when I'm high up on a mountain, you know, you're going to die. I, I have it. It's it's there. When I do live TV, I have this this voice in my head saying, you you could suddenly go crazy now and start swearing. <laughs> you can have a panic. You, you, can, can, you, panic can, you can have a panic attack. Yeah, and, and, it's, have, and it's, it's telling good. you and, 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 and it's saying you're going to forget your words. You're going to forget your words. <laughs> and it's all about just silent, just turning down the volume because it will always be there. And and what I have managed to do over the last 20 years is 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 kind of work out mind control working out how to control my inner voice of doubt my that that loud inner voice of doom almost and and I think I've had to take on some a series of big challenges to understand it but I I you know my great inspiration the stories of Joe Simpson the one that you just explained there from touching the void you know that is a perfect example of where I take my inspiration from Shackleton Scott mm. all these great heroes who the 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 ending was success the, the ending w wasn't always successful you know joe simpson survived uh, uh, captain scott perished mm. uh, Ernest shackleton didn't reach uh, the south pole but he uh, he saved all saved of his all men his so men, yeah. i think for me it's not always just about hitting that target sometimes it's how you play the game was it scott who said he was on an expedition and he knew that he was dying and he said to his men he said to his second in command he said I'm going to go on a walk and I may be some time that was one of his campmates actually when they were in their tent just before they all froze to death what one of them went out and, and effectively um, 
committed suicide. I mean, yeah. it's, it's down to your interpretation of it. But I've always loved those incredible Amazing. stories of of great heroics. I don't, you know, I, what I do is nothing compared to some of those those old and stories. And some of those challenges that you do, Ben. So you, you mentioned sort of climbing Everest. Um, what? Why do you do them? Is the kind of? I mean, is it, apart from the obvious challenge that's there that everybody perhaps wants to climb Everest to a certain extent but risking your life in that way when you have a family and 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 people behind you what what drives you to go and do that I, I okay so risk for me is super important in life I, yeah. I, I think without risk you can't ever achieve because that there has to be um that there, there has to be a, a distance between one and the other if if everything is a straight line in life where is the success if if everything works out the first time if everything sells out if if everyone loves your show if everyone buys your book if everyone listens to your podcast on an, on a level field how do you point out the 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 ones that were were successful and the ones that weren't so you can't good. Appreciate the win without the loss. There yeah. you go. So for me, to to take on risk is so important in life. Now, it has to be a calculated risk. I'm a, I'm a dad now, and and when I climbed Everest, I had two young children, Ludo and Iona, who were at at the time they were sort of uh, six and eight, yeah. and and that was a big deal for t- for two young kids. But w- what I do is I try to be sensible about that risk. I, I try to put in the parameters. Now, for something like Everest, I teamed up with arguably the greatest contemporary Everest climber, Kenton Cool. He'd, he'd climbed it 12 times at the time. He, he's, he's a friend of mine. He knows that mountain more than anyone. And I teamed up with Victoria Pendleton, uh, an Olympian, sensible on one hand, reckless on the other but <laughs> but but actually that sensibleness um I, I think was really important to have yeah. her um with me to to be the 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 sensible mind because what happens with a lot of these expeditions is you get something called summit fever and summit fever isn't just um restricted to mountains by the way summit fever can be when you're sailing the world, rowing across the world. It's this this laser-like focus you have on that end goal, and you will do it to whatever ends um, are necessary. And if that means death, you you will you go will you will go for it, even if it means death at the end. And uh, and for me, it was really important. It was the promise I made to my wife and and children that I would be sensible and sensitive because um, I owed it. I owed it to them. I, I, I think. Climbing Everest was a slightly reckless, slightly selfish thing to do. Is it hard? It's it. Do you know what? It's it's not technical, but it's quite a scary mountain. Yeah. And I've seen quite a lot in life. And and for me, it it really pushed all of my buttons. But I think it made me a much better person. For me, standing on the top, there's lots of headlines now about climbing Everest. is all about trophy hunting. You just you just pay a huge amount of money. You 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 get dragged up by other people, and you take your hero photo. You come back and tell everyone how brilliant you were. It, it was far more complex than me. It was much more nuanced. And for me, climbing Everest was almost. It, it wasn't the conclusion to my twenty years yeah. um, since I was on that TV show trying to kind of attain success rather than just fame. But I think it was it was far more powerful for me psychologically than it was a physical thing of standing on the top of how the world. How long did it? How long did it take? Um, well, I was I was away for about five weeks, okay. and you, uh, but you, that's waiting for the weather. But, but that's waiting for the weather. It's acclimatizing, so yeah. it, it's quite difficult to put a, a specific timeline on it. But it's it's a hard mountain, and and I think it's also because we're on this topic now. I think it's important to say 
there's a lot of headlines this year about overcrowding on the mountain yeah. and 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 I think a lot of people when they think of the mountain think of death and exploitation and and it's almost become a mountain that's to be shameful of. And one of the reasons I went is that I, I like to consider myself a storyteller now. So I go to a place, I experience something, I meet people, and then I translate it into film, into books, into writing, onto the stage. And one of the reasons for going to Everest so that I could actually come back and sit and talk to people like yourselves with, with knowledge. So so yeah. not, just, not just secondhand information that's repeated and regurgitated in newspapers, but to actually report on what it's actually like and my genuine thoughts. And and I think there probably are a few too many people on Everest. I think there are people with uh, w- w- who are under-experienced. And I think, I think the Nepalese do need... I was on the, the Nepalese side. I think they do need to start thinking about reducing the numbers. But it's easier said than done. And without... is that a case of essentially anybody that pays to go can go? That's how it is now. There's no... There's no one overseeing who goes, how they go, how the money is spent, who the money goes to. So it is, it's a slight wild, it it is kind of like the Wild West. Yeah. Um, uh, But a vital part of their local economy. There you go. That's that's one of the things. It's all very well for people to say, no, limit the numbers. But actually the, the, the the, the money generated for the Nepalese government and for local people who are employed is huge. And you can't, you can't uh, underestimate that. I I just, I, but I want to focus on that part of risk as well, because you said it so right that you can't achieve success unless you have risk in your life. But then uh, where does risk sort of start and end? And in terms of a, if you're setting up a business or whatever it is, how much risk do you give to it? Do you put all of your money into it or do you not? And I want to ask a question to you. Maybe it's too much of a tricky question to ask, but, uh, you know, you put yourself in some pretty risky situations. Uh, are you scared of death? I'm not. I'm not scared of death at all. No, it doesn't okay. doesn't scare me at all. But I'm terrified on behalf of my sure. children and my wife because I know we're all like that, aren't we? When I was a child, my, I had nightmares that something would happen to my parents. Yeah, it's the yeah, worst yeah. thing ever. So I'm deeply fearful for them. But I no, it doesn't bother me. If it, if it, I, I, this sounds, I, I hate to say this, but if something happened tomorrow, I, I, I've done I've done everything. I no, not everything I want to do, but. I, I've lived my life. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to suddenly go, oh, I didn't do <laughs> that or or, or or something else. So I, I'm not fearful of death. But for me, my the most important thing in my life now is being a dad and, sure. and having children. I can't, I, I, I can't overestimate or underestimate the, the significance that they have in my life. But I also, as a, as a parent, I, I want them to be inspired by the things that I do and the people that I meet. And that's not just about them going, hero worshipping me. I I don't want that. But I want want to help set their moral compass. And I want want to also show them that that genuinely anything is possible. If, If you really, really want to become the greatest scientist in the world, my son is obsessed with science, go for it. Why, why, why can't you achieve that? But you don't necessarily have to go through that front door with the the, the absolute academics. Totally. Become an apprentice. Um, spend time with scientists. Absorb. And then try and work out if, if you can't go that contemporary route um, into university to, 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 to study that course. There is still a way and a means of, of working in that field. Jamie, bad news. That is the end of part one. What? I know, I know. We got there so quick, but don't fear. 
part two is coming right up, just one click away. So everybody that's listening, just go over and click part two. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it really does mean a huge amount. And we also hope today's podcast has inspired you to move towards your dream or passion. Now, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email us at move at moveclub.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at moveclub. Until next time, this is Move. Move.